Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Tim Challies to the podcast. Tim is the owner of Challies.com, an elder at Grace Church, a loving husband, and a proud father. Tim, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. You bet. Today, we're going to be talking about the preacher and personal productivity. Uh, we're playing on Tim's recent book, Do More Better, A Practical Guide to Productivity. And so it's a delight to have this conversation with you today, Tim. Tim, I devoured this book on an airplane uh, quickly and helpfully, and I've already sought to appropriate uh, many of your points to my life and my personal planning and scheduling, and it plays into a broader narrative of concern for me personally is how best to uh, wear the hats I have to wear as a, a husband, a father of five children, uh, one who leads an institution, uh, who preaches and writes and uh, seeks to be a faithful churchman and a faithful father of Christ. So uh, th- this is not merely theoretical for me, it's experiential. And I uh, appreciated your, your book so much, and I'm just delighted to have this conversation with you today. As we have it, I know that every man who preaches, every man or woman who serves the cause of Christ, and, and frankly, most every citizen on the planet these days, it seems, especially uh, in the West and in the U.S., uh, lives with this time crunch. As I talk with people and I ask them how they do, there's this common refrain I hear, and they say something like this, um, we're doing great, but we are so busy. And I don't think I've ever had someone say to me, you know, we're doing great and we just have too much time on our hands. Preachers understand this, especially living with the urgency of Sunday staring them in the face week after week and the many responsibilities uh, administratively, logistically, but most urgently, those that are deeply spiritual, preaching and teaching the Word of God, shepherding the flock of God, maintaining personal devotion in their walk with Christ. So this book and this conversation, I trust, uh, will be very, very helpful to many. So Tim, let me just uh, begin by asking you questions and dialoguing with you. Uh, first, let me just ask this book. I'm I'm curious the the why of productivity. This topic, the why of productivity. Uh, why the book for you? And then perhaps zoom out and and tell us why preachers and ministers should care about optimizing their personal productivity. But first, why did you write the book? I wrote the book because I know so many people who do struggle in this area, and I myself was struggling for a long time. And my life sounded a little bit like yours in that there are a lot of different responsibilities pulling me in a lot of different directions, and I had to bring order to the chaos. And so I did a lot of reading, and I did a lot of work, and I did a lot of research, and I put together a system that I found very effective for me and then lived that system for a good bit of time. And at the end of it, I thought, I think others could probably benefit from this. One of the things I love to do in life is is do some of the work that other people may not have access to the books or they may not have time to, to work these things through. Well, I can find that time and then I can do the work ahead of them. And so that's kind of what I did with this book and with the system it describes. Now, you frame up this issue theologically and biblically, but you also rely upon it and, and, and you know, uh, common Grace, uh, the experience of common man who, who has written people who have written this issue, uh, some from a Christian standpoint, or at least a quasi-Christian standpoint, others who have written to this issue from a, a purely uh, secular standpoint, uh, David Allen and uh, you know Peter Drucker over the years, and others who have given great thought to time management, to self-management, to productivity. Uh, let me sharpen the question, why should preachers care about personal productivity? Well, in order to 
answer that question, I think you've got to go to a definition of productivity and say, well, what is this thing we call productivity anyways? And that's where, in the book, I spend a fair bit of time trying to draw out a definition that essentially points to good works. Productivity is doing good to others for the glory of God. If we, if we understand that, that to be productive means to do good to others, which in turn brings glory to God, well, that's why preachers need to be productive of all people. They've got to find ways of living their lives so they are doing good to others, and in that way drawing attention to their God. And would you also argue that living an organized, uh, responsible, we might say mature life, uh, also is enables us to reflect God's greater glory through the, ordin- uh, the orderliness of our life? Yeah, certainly through the orderliness of our life, and then just through the ways, the opportunities we then have to be deliberate in doing good for others, in doing good deeds that glorify God. And so the order, orderliness of our life itself then frees us up to do even more good. So you helpfully, in the early pages of the book, define it biblically and theologically. Now, you've already sort of described it, but, but let me ask you, you, know, you open up with these opening ca- uh, catechisms, as I recall. You, you frame yeah. it uh, by way of catechisms. Expand on that a little bit for us. Sure. So this was really the, the shift in my own thinking when it came to productivity. Like so many others, I had battled, and I had read the books by David Allen. I had read a lot of blog posts, and what I saw that I was doing over time was I was trying to just find a quick fix. I was trying to learn a technique that would make all the difference. And what I came to understand was that I was building on a faulty foundation. So no wonder then that these were just very short-term fixes. No wonder I wasn't really getting to the heart of the issue. And so what I had to do in my own life was build a solid foundation for productivity. And so in this catechism, as I call it, the series of questions and answers, what I'm doing is helping people lay that foundation to show them how important it is we really figure out why we need to be productive before we talk about tools, before we talk about technique. And that, I think, can make all the difference. And when we think about you know, what it means to be more productive, uh, would you agree that, that that's a contextual consideration, uh, uh, meaning different seasons of life uh, may lend themselves to different degrees of productivity, different roles, responsibilities, and goals associated with those roles and responsibilities and offices one may hold, uh, also help to frame one's productivity. Uh, obviously, uh, you and I both have large families, and as our kids are young, there are certain expectations and needs and desires there. As they get a little older to adolescence, certain expectations and needs and desires there. And then once they're off to college and then out of the house, different degrees of needs and expectations there. How do you think of productivity um, in its own contextual way with our respective seasons of life and also uh, gifts and also the roles and goals God has assigned to us? Yeah. Well, if we can think again, productivity is doing good to others, then in all of life, whether I'm a student, whether I'm working, whether I've got a family, whether I'm retired, the, the goal of it is the same, which is to be doing good for others to the glory of God. But of course, a lot of the, the factors change as well. It's a very different way I do good to an infant versus do good to an adult child of mine. And so what I try to do in the book is have people, if you can imagine zooming up over your life and looking down at your life and just trying to figure out what is it that God has called me to? What are the various areas of responsibility I'm responsible for before God? Someday if God demands an accounting of all that he's entrusted to me, what are the criteria he would use? What are the areas he would look to and say, well, what did you do as a 
father? What did you do as a husband? What did you do as a, a pastor, as a church member? So I try to have people audit their lives in that sense to figure out what is my life made up of? What am I responsible for? Very good. And the discipline of self-evaluation, uh, which you frame up in the book, is such an important one to cultivate. These things will vary so much from person to person and from, you know, within one individual over the course of his life. And so this isn't a one-time thing. This is something we ought to be doing on a regular basis, is, again, zooming up over our lives and saying, well, what has changed? What, what circumstances are different now than a year ago or five years ago? So hopefully this is an ongoing process of evaluation. Yeah, and I think that is, a, frankly, a driving concern. And as one who serves as a seminary president teaching students, it, it's very easy for students here to look at, well, let's say a Tim Challies, uh, someone who maintains a an aggressive online presence, uh, a blog with a lot of traffic, you post a lot of articles, and to aspire to that level of, uh, of a public ministry. But that's not their calling at the age of 25 or 28. Their calling is to pass Greek and keep their marriage together as they do it. Uh, their right. calling is to be faithful to, uh, to their systematic theology class and be faithful to their family and faithful to their employer. Maybe in five or ten years, their ministry context is one that either facilitates giving time to that or, or even necessitates giving time to that. But, but that's what I keep coming back to in your book in conversations about productivity and how we leverage ourselves. that one has to always be mindful of not only one's particular gifts, but one's particular stage of life and one's particular uh, ministry that God has called one to at that season. And that often changes year to year. Uh, decade to decade, certainly. And that's why I appreciate so much your book and uh, the way you frame up this issue. Now, I want to move more directly into how one can be more productive. And we're not going to just rehash the book here. And, and by the way, if you have not picked up Tim Challey's book, I want to encourage you to get it today. Uh, you can get it online. You can get it through Tim Challey's website, Amazon, and other Christian bookstores. Do More Better, A Practical Guide to Productivity. Uh, the book is quick to read and uh, will be very helpful as you apply it to your life. Now, in the course of this conversation, I want to begin to unpack uh, eight or nine principles or, or really steps to gaining more personal productivity. And uh, again, we're not just going to regurgitate the book here, but we are going to follow loosely with your chapter headings because it just very logically flows as to one how must do it. So as to these steps to becoming more productive, the first key that you note, Tim, is to eliminate distractions. What do you mean by that? Well, we are very distracted people, and I think it's always been that way. We like to act as if the distractions today are worse than ever, and maybe they are. But uh, you only have to go to the book of Proverbs to see how distracted people were and how lazy people were. And really, distraction is just a form of laziness. So before we do much else in life, we've got to find ways of focusing in on the, the key work at that moment, which means that when we're at work, we need to find ways of eliminating distractions related to family or related to church or whatever it is. And then when we're at church, we've got to eliminate those other distractions. We've got to be able to maintain a focus on the thing at hand. And that is very hard to do, uh, especially when we have these things in our pockets that keep buzzing and drawing our attention away. And as relates to distractions, if you're a minister, are people a distraction to your ministry? <laughs> people are the ministry. And yet, you, as a pastor, find yourself in this tricky position of sometimes the best way you can serve your church is to not talk to anybody. That sermon will not come together if people are always walking into your office. And so you live in this difficult tension of ministering to people sometimes by getting away from people. But 
you've got a good model there in Jesus, who was here to minister to people, and yet was unafraid and sometimes just needed to get away, to, to send all the people away and go off by himself, or to go off with his small group of followers. So you've got a good model to look at there. Well, and I was, you know, exhorted by an elder saying to the ministry many, many years ago, uh, a reminder that, that people are not a hindrance to my ministry, people are my ministry. And that is true. At the same time, it is also true that uh, you can't you can't socialize with the people eight hours a day, Monday through Saturday, and have something God were to say to them on Sunday. And there is a rhythm right. there, and there should be an overarching intentionality as to how you, you feed and shepherd the, the flock of God. Uh, in ways that right. complement one another. You'll have a few opportunities to speak to individuals, but you'll have one great opportunity every week to speak to the entire body. And so in some ways, that one talk to the entire body, the sermon, is what ought to have a major uh, piece of your time and attention. And as you've already noted, sluggishness, <clears throat> distraction, um, other issues and things that would compete for our attention. That is not a novelty. Uh, that is not new to the 21st century. We see that in the Proverbs and, and lamented in the Proverbs. However, right. if one wants to be distracted, uh, there is a there are a surplus of options in the year 2016 with social media and the website and all the rest. And so, uh, we have to put limits on our distractions. And to use your word, we have to we have to eliminate them. We have to excise them. Secondly, uh, you, you say to live a more productive life and to optimize yourself and your time for the kingdom. You have to define your responsibilities. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, that's what I was talking about before, to kind of zoom up over your life and really determine what is my life made up of. When I'm held to account for all that God has entrusted to me, think in the biblical language of stewardship. I don't own anything in this world. I steward it all. That includes my body. That includes my family. That includes my, my church, my business, my studies, whatever it is. These are all things God has entrusted to me. So what are those areas of responsibility? What are the things that I am particularly responsible for before God? That is just a ground-level question you need to ask so you know what your life is made up of. And those two words that you, you did not, you're not the first one to cite them. They've been around for decades, but roles and goals. Uh, know the roles you have in life, what God has assigned to you, if it's as a preacher, a father, a husband, an administrator, uh, and then the goals associated with them, helping you define your responsibilities. Uh, there's a third step that you argue for, and that is to state your mission. What do you mean by that? So most productivity books, as you read them, you'll see that uh, the, the author says you ought to have a, a life-wide mission statement, that you ought to have one thing that defines your actions, defines your mission. And I pull back from that a little bit because I think we've already got that. God's already given us our mission, which is to bring him glory by doing good to others. The question is, how will I do that in each of my areas of responsibility? So I, I encourage people to look at each one of your area of responsibilities and to say, what is my mission here? When it comes to me personally, as I look forward to the week ahead, how will I know if I'm fulfilling my mission in this area? So me personally, what would it mean for me to be successful this week in, in, in that or in my family? Well, drop a quick mission statement. That can change over the course of life, change as you and your circumstances change. But something that can answer the question, how have I been doing? And that can answer the question of, well, what else must I do? How can I fulfill this responsibility God's given me? And uh, resources out there like Matt Perman's book, Getting Things Done, Michael Hyatt's new book, uh, Living Forward, even my friend Dan Dumas's new book, though really geared more towards college and youth-age students, touches on this as well, his book, 
uh, Live Smart. And it's just so important. I'm astounded by how many people I meet and know in life, and even men I, I know in ministry, they sort of list along from one year to the next without any overarching sense of what God has called them to do and uh, who God has made them to be. And those two things are certainly linked together. But if you don't know what your mission is in life, if there isn't a sense of, of calling that is so profound and so certain, uh, there, there's no way you're going to fulfill what you need to fulfill for God's glory. And uh, you probably won't be very productive along the way either. So, so a, a, a mission that is clear in your heart, a sense of calling that is clear, and, and I don't mean, nor do you mean, something that's profoundly mystical, that one has to hear a voice or see a vision right. to have that, but, but just a clear-headed assessment of who God has made you to be, how God has gifted and equipped you, uh, where God has placed you, the stewardship he has entrusted to you, and then orienting yourself along those lines to be faithful to it. Am I oversimplifying it, or, or can we leave it at that? No, I think you can leave it at that. A, a, a mission can be as something as simple as, I'm going to teach and train my church as they mature and multiply, right? Just a very short statement, but that gives me guidance every week. This is what I'm doing as an elder, as a pastor of my church. church. I'm teaching them, and I'm training them, so they can do two things. They can grow up, and they can grow out. They can mature, and they can multiply. That gives focus every week. Have I done that? And how will I do that in the week ahead? That's all we need here. There's another step that you mentioned, and that is to select your tools. Now, at this point, it would be really easy to get bogged down. Uh, In your book, you're very helpful to outline with specificity tools and how to use those tools. And I don't want to get too bogged down here, but but perhaps you can help us from 30,000 feet just just to outline what you mean by selecting tools. Sure. So any book on productivity at some level has to make the decision will it be broad or will it be specific? And I determined I would be specific and outline a particular method that uses particular kinds of tools, knowing that if I outline that method, people can take as much of it as they need to do their, their job and to do it well. So when it comes to tools, we as human beings are absolutely dependent upon our tools. We tend to do better work with better tools, but we don't have to fear tools as if they they expose our weakness. You you think about God giving to Adam and Eve this mandate to go out and to exercise dominion over the earth, to subdue this entire earth. Well, he gave that mission to two naked people standing in a garden. The only way they were going to carry out that mandate was to develop tools and to use those tools. And then Jesus gave us the Great Commission. We can only carry out that commission if we use tools, whether that's the printing press to print books, or whether that's an airplane to get us from one end of the world to the other. So we need tools to do what God has called us to do. We need tools to be productive. And the tools I outlined here are for people who are, uh, well, they're really suitable to anyone, but they're tools that enhance and help our productivity specifically. And the tools are, of course, a, a means to an end. Uh, we, right. we both know people that live on this endless quest to find the perfect tool, and life is one big you know, life hack conversation, how to maximize tools. And uh, it can be as simple as a to-do list. Uh, something that just helps you to order your day and your week. Uh, I use Evernote uh, as a helpful tool. I know you do as well. You can in Evernote in your book. I don't use it nearly, though, uh, with the level of specificity as you do and others like Michael Hyatt advocate using. But it's a very helpful tool for me. But, but the bottom line is have a tool. Have something that helps you to order your ministry, order your time, order your life, and bring clarity to it. So select your tools. Uh, fifth, yeah. you say collect your tasks. 
those next three sections there, I outline the three different tools that I recommend people use for productivity. So the first is a task management program, and that's a relatively new breed of tool, one that can be used to track tasks and to do it in unique ways, ways that weren't available to us in a world of pen and paper, but some of our electronic tools give us, give us new capabilities there. And so there's that task management tool, and then there's a scheduling tool, which we know is a calendar. But again, through, through the internet, through apps, we have amazing new capabilities our calendars can give us, such as notifying us there's heavy traffic you need to leave now instead of 15 minutes from now. And then the third tool is the one you mentioned before, Evernote, which is an information management tool, one we can put all our information to, into, and it stores it, it holds it, and it allows us to retrieve it again when we need it. So if you can take those three tools and master the use of those tools, you're setting yourself up well here for greater productivity. So you're selecting your tools. We've talked about a way to uh, collect your task, uh, to pl plan your calendar, to gather your information. Those really three are the three big buckets of life one has to navigate successfully. And then you come to, uh, I guess it's Chapter 8, or the eighth, the eighth step, and that is to live the system. And uh, what do you mean by that, Tim? Well, that's now bringing those three tools together and constructing a system that uses them all. And really the, the heart of what I say there is to start each day by going to those tools and letting each one do its job for you. And um, so I, I suggest a little routine to go through in the morning that will help you understand here's the time I have available for me today, here's the amount of time that's already taken up by, by appointments, by other things that are already there on my calendar, and then I can look at my tasks and say, I've got, I know what time is available to me. What tasks can I fit into that time? What can I actually accomplish today? Then you've got your information tool that's holding the information you need and ready to have more information added into it. So the system is using those three tools in harmony with one another. And then ninth, to maintain consistency. And here you're talking about pulling the pieces together and to review your tools and your, your tasks daily and then weekly and then uh, and then with, with less frequency but, but greater depth still. Uh, talk about, help us to understand how we maintain consistency. So the, the little routine I, I go through each morning and I recommend going through each morning is really a way of taking things out of your system. I have all these tasks. I can look at them and say, here are some I'm going to accomplish today. But once a week, there's great value in now, again, stepping back from life a little and saying, what do I need to add into the system? And that's where I can look at my mission and say, in the week ahead, I want to teach and train the people of this church as they mature and multiply. What tasks will I need to do? What things will I need to accomplish? What meetings will I need to set? What appointments will I need to make? And, and there I use a little uh, pair of words, serve and surprise. So as I'm thinking about my family, for example, I want to think, what do I need to do this week to serve them? Like, what, what must I do this week to be a, a faithful husband, a faithful father? But then there's also that word surprise. What can I do this week that would go over and above? What can I do this week just out of the joy of being a, a husband, the joy of being a father, going above and beyond the duty of that, and now just delighting to do it? What can I do to surprise to surprise my children? And now I can take those ideas and start putting them into my system to draw them out again next week. That's very helpful. You know, I remember sort of backing into these realities myself uh, very early in ministry, my first assignment, and having to figure out how to order myself. And the to-do list then was kind of the thing, and we're talking about late 90s, before the age of 
smartphones before the age I even owned a cell phone. And uh, a lot of the accoutrements and support systems and, you know, before I had an iPad or any of these other devices that proved helpful, and it was just a piece of paper that I would enumerate my task. And every morning I would start with point number one, make a to-do list. That way, when I got right. to the end of making my to-do list, I could scratch it off and already have a feeling of accomplishment before I even got up from the table. And right. uh, even now, you know, some 20 years later, nearly 20 years later, I uh, I have the systems, I have the Evernote, I have the calendar, but there are still days where I just sit down and write out with pen and paper a to-do list. And there's something visual about putting down on paper concretely, clearly, the seven items, the eight items that must be done on a full day, and just tracking with that in hand or in a suit pocket and marking that off. And uh, that's, you know, in so many ways is an oversimplification, but it, it really does typify what you're at in this book, living a life that is orderly, that is on target, on mission, and breaking that overarching goal and, and expectation of oneself and minister down to bite-sized, day-by-day pieces. Now, integral to all of this is the email beast. You conclude the book, uh, towards the very end of the book, about how to tame email. And I will confess publicly uh, on this podcast, I have had to wrestle with the email demons myself. And uh, it, you live, I have lived with more coming in than can possibly go out and uh, live with a little bit of a sense of guilt as to how to handle it, live with a little bit of a sense of, um, of just of a, of a never-ending challenge. Uh, I've made it a personal goal uh, to, to clean out my inbox every day, and a goal I don't always meet, but I, I'm a lot closer to meeting these days than I, I once was. For me, making progress on this front, which has been huge, is to uh, batch process email. You touch on this in your book as well. Uh, to, to batch process, to set aside a certain amount of time of day, certain points in the day, parentheses of time, to really work through that email list. Help our listeners to understand how they can how they can tame their email as well. I think the big shift people need to make is to start thinking about email more like postal mail. If you can think, my email is like my mailbox. So what I do not do is I do not go up to my mailbox outside my house reach in, take out a letter, open it, and then stuff it back in. Or take another one out, realize I don't even want to open this, and stuff it back in my mailbox, right? I go outside, I go into my mailbox, and I process what's in there. I open things, I take action on them, and I file them, right? I never put them back in. I also don't write a bunch of to-dos on a sticky note and then put it inside my mailbox. And I don't send myself letters to remind myself things. Um, I use my mailbox in a very specific way. If we can think of our email being a little bit more like that postal mailbox, I think we've made the big mind shift that will help us understand how to do email. I need to go and do it occasionally, not all the time. I need to take action on everything that's there. I want to get rid of junk, as much junk as possible. I want to unsubscribe to things. And I want to make sure I don't have tons of emails glogging up my, my mailbox. Again, make that shift. And it, right there, you'll have a lot of the knowledge you need to, to see email very, very differently. Now, I, I think that analogy you use is just spot on. And in the book, it, I remember it, it just was illuminating as I, as I read it. Uh, the only caveat I'll put is there are certain people in, in roles in life that your job is to monitor and quickly respond to your email. Uh, right. Thankfully, for most preachers and those in ministry, there's something of a buffer there that they can check it a couple times a day or at certain points in the day, and they're not called to constantly monitor. But if you're an administrative assistant, a receptionist, uh, some other task where you are actually called to, to, to constantly monitor the email list, obviously one has to do that. 
to top off the book, you have 20 tips, what you call bonus tips at the end of the book, 20 other suggestions or tips to uh, help with productivity. And Tim, I just want to commend you. Little book, but with a, a big impact, I believe. And if we can see your book and these other resources that are coming out in podcasts like this emphasize how important it is to optimize our lives, to redeem the time for the glory of God, I believe that'll make an impact in the church and an impact for eternity. If you think about church history, and you think about Martin Luther, John Calvin, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, these titanic figures, different eras often, different giftings, different ministries, different degrees of impact, but they all had something in common. Those who truly made massive contributions to the church and are still remembered and talked about on podcasts like this, they were remarkably efficient and productive. And it's not because they had Evernote or an iPad, because they had a sense of calling that burned in their souls and that drove them to relentlessly give themselves for the glory of God. And there is perhaps no one listening to this podcast that will achieve the status of uh, the names I just mentioned, but we can learn from them. Live a life on mission, on, on mission like these men did who accomplished so much by way of preaching, by way of defending the faith, by way of writing, by way of evangelistic harvest, oftentimes under physical duress, and the Reformers, of course, oftentimes under the threat of death itself. That doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen by chance. Uh, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens with grand intentionality. An understanding of who God has made you to be, what he has called you to do, and understanding the roles and goals associated with that, and living a life that is productive for God's kingdom, for God's glory. Tim, I'm so grateful for your book and for this conversation, and I trust those listening today will have benefited from it, and they will access your book if they haven't done so already, and will put it into practice. Tim, it's been an absolute delight to have this conversation. Thank you for your ministry and for the time today. It's been an honor to host you on Preaching and Preachers. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.